Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Tuesday, March 30th. Arden Zwelling with Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producer this week is Andrew Norton. We thank him for filling in for Christian Ryan. Busy week for the Blue Jays. Busy week for ATL. Obviously, season begins this week in the Bronx. Blue Jays and Yankees getting things kicked off on April 1st. Today, we're going to have a quick sort of news pod uh just wrapping up all the the happenings in blue jays camp as as things wound down and and as the regular season is upon us later in the week uh ahead of opening day we're gonna have the over unders podcast the annual tradition that'll be coming out on opening day itself ben and i will be live on youtube facebook twitter uh and probably sportsnet.ca as well taking your questions so you can tune in at 12 o'clock noon on any of those platforms and send in a question. And Ben and I will uh, will be answering them for an hour leading into the game. And Ben, I think that's everything on uh, what is a very busy week. Yeah, exactly. A lot going on, a lot to talk about. It's always like this, this time of year. The over-under is, of course, a staple. We've put in some time to come up with some good lines. But, of course, there's Jay's news, too. So we wanted to cover that off with this podcast. Yeah, and so let's start with like probably the most impactful thing, and that is George Springer, uh, who is obviously a very important piece of the, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. Had a follow-up MRI on that oblique issue that he was having um, the other day. We haven't heard the results of it yet, but as Ben and I were mentioning on, on the last podcast, like, you know, within a week a grade two oblique sprain isn't going to look much different on an MRI than it did the the last time that you imaged it so I can't imagine the Blue Jays learning too much from that we know George Springer's been hitting off of a tee and performing some uh, some baseball activities but Ben like I, I really do think the most likely outcome here uh, is to, that George Springer starts the year on the IL. Well I think the Jays sort of telegraphed that there's a real chance of that happening when they told Jonathan Davis that he's on the team. Because, you know, I think otherwise, if you're looking at ways to build this roster, you probably don't need a fifth outfielder in today's game, you know, especially when your first four are really good. So in a scenario where the Jays were fully healthy, they've got Lourdes and Gritchuk and Teoscar and George Springer. So you don't really need that extra guy. But by rostering Jonathan Davis, who, you know, in himself, that's a great story and, and exciting for him to be on the roster. But I think that tells you that, there is some serious concern about Springer. Yeah, great result for Jonathan Davis. Had a really good spring, has earned it. You know, I've written about him at sports.ca like a, a number of times and, and most recently a couple weeks ago just about his kind of journey up the Blue Jays system. And he has stopped at like every stage of the the minor league ladder. Um, you know, he has been that fringe roster guy for the last several seasons who like gets some very sparse MLB opportunities, has played a ton of his time in the big leagues in September, but like has never complained. Tons of fans of his uh, you know, with, within the organization, whether that's coaches, teammates, training staff. I mean, just everybody loves the guy. So uh, you know, it's gonna be great to see him get his name called in the Bronx on, on opening day. And I'd imagine he might actually be playing on opening day. We'll see. I mean, he's the, the Blue Jays best defensive center fielder really so it'll depend how they want to line things up and who's going to be the the dh that day but as far as it comes you know as far as george springer goes this is just a, a tough way to start the george springer era in toronto and we don't know right now sorry ben just how long it's going to be until we see him in a blue jays uniform right that is a question that's still up in the air and you know i said serious concern before i think when i say that i mean that he will be ready for opening day i don't think that this is something that 
the organization expects will linger deep into the season by any stretch, but it is serious anytime that your best player, and I think Springer is their best player, their most important player, if he's hurt, that's never a good thing. And there's no, there's almost no such thing as a, as a minor oblique strain. And I know that in Springer's case, like it sounds like he's been able to proceed with baseball activities for much of the spring, but at the same time, so important to have that rotational ability as a hitter. And right now that's impeded. Uh, I guess my second biggest question after when will George Springer be available is how hurt are Robbie Ray and Nate Pearson? Both were expected to be in the Blue Jays rotation to open the season. Both will not. Both were expected to throw bullpens over the weekend. Both did not. It's a little bit troubling. And, you know, we're working with incomplete information. We don't know, you know, with, with Pearson, obviously there's been, you know, a setback with a groin issue with Robbie Ray fell down the stairs we haven't talked to him like we didn't it's not like the sort of injury that we saw in a game so we just don't really have a sense of how bad it actually is the blue jays describing it as a bruised elbow but the fact that neither of those guys have been able to get off of a mound probably not great when you think about pitchers building up towards the starters workload right now and trying to get stretched out i mean taking you know if it's a week if it's 10 days off of throwing i think that can have pretty adverse effects that you know and impacts at this point in the season so you know i I just have some pretty big questions just about when we're going to see either of those guys and there are times that you just have to take that rest and there's no way around it. So obviously it makes sense for the team at this point to prioritize that rest. But, you know, you're right, Arden, when you think about the progression that we usually see when it comes to pitchers, you know, as they're getting ready for a season, as they're working their way back toward action after being sidelined, what you look for would be first getting on a mound and throwing a bullpen session. Then you're into the sim game, live BP territory. Then you're into your rehab situations where you're going for a few innings. Then it's back to full throttle. So, you know, at this point, to be throwing off flat ground, that's pretty much like the bare minimum of activity. And that's where Pearson's at. That's where Thomas Hatch is at. Sounds like with Ray, they're hopeful it'll just be one start. But, you know, in the meantime, like this is a pretty big question for this team because I don't know, like, is it TJ Zoik against the Yankees in game two? But there's some big questions right now. No, totally. And then you think about like a mound progression. Usually a guy gets on the mound and it's like 15 pitches. And then they're like, all right, let's take it easy. Take a couple days, see how you respond. Maybe two, three days and get you up to 30, right? Like there's typically like, it just takes time. Like there's just a process. So yeah, starting to wonder when we're going to see either of those guys, uh, you know, back in Blue Jays uniform in the Bronx. Can some of that progression occur in the majors, right? So like if you're building a guy up, it's like, all right, Robbie Ray's up to like 65 pitches. We'll give him 65 pitches in the majors and have somebody ready to come in in tandem after him. Could you do something like that? Is that putting a guy in a tough spot? Like, I don't even know really how to approach some of the Blue Jays injury reports lately. Um, like, my uh, skepticism with them is just a little bit increased, I think. Like, we, yeah. we've we kind of, you know, we, we've been talking about it a little bit throughout the, the spring with how just tightly the club is controlling the flow of information with us not being down there. Ryan Barucki had a hamstring injury for two weeks, and we never learned of it. <laughs> uh, Raphael Delis has been dealing with back spasms and was kind of like scheduled to pitch in an, in an outing and then he never appeared and then we kind of asked Charlie about it and, and Charlie was super like cagey and in, in discussing the injury and we still haven't seen him on a mound 
in a long time. There's been a lot of, oh, those guys are thrown on backfields. Like, you're just not seeing them. You know, oh, those guys are getting their work in. Uh, oh, you know, it's a hamstring issue, but we're not too worried about it. Oh, he's fine. So it's just so tough to get a gauge on these things from, you know, my kitchen table <laughs> where I'm sitting right now. So, I, like, I will say I've made a, a little bit of a note to just kind of proceed more cautiously and skeptically uh, when it comes to the injury reports that we receive. Well, look, what we know is the Blue Jays have been less than forthcoming when it comes to injuries and and what they're sharing about them. And so that's obviously a deliberate decision on their part. And from their standpoint, you could argue that there are reasons for doing that. But the reality is for us on the outside, we don't know what's going on. We don't know the severity. And we have to assume that that's not the last time that they're going to withhold information. So do we know the full extent of injuries right now? It's hard to assume Yes, because two weeks ago, we didn't know about Delise when he was dealing with his back issues. We didn't know about Baraki when he was dealing with his hamstrings. So those issues were happening nonetheless, and we were assuming that they were healthy. So right now, I'm not going to assume that the Blue Jays have revealed everything. I'm going to assume that there are other lingering so-called minor issues that they haven't told us about. And that's something that we'll get more information on as the season progresses. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And, you know, club and player are both aligned in being motivated to have as little information out there as possible about the health of the players. So I don't expect anything differently but it does make me kind of approach things a little more cautiously certainly um let me put this to you ben if you look at the zips projections coming into the season for guys right so george springer was projected for four wins above replacement robbie ray 2.7 nate pearson 2.1 kirby yates 0.7 so that's essentially like nine to ten wins that the blue jays have on the il to begin the season Kirby Yates's wins will not be recovered Springer Ray Pearson we'll see when those guys are ready to play but the Blue Jays start in the year with like 10 wins on the IL uh and they're replacing those wins internally with uh TJ Zoik as you referred to earlier with Jonathan Davis in the outfield like does that at all make you downgrade expectations for this team until it proves that it's healthy yeah for sure I think that Yates, for example, like that's a full season absence. So you take away his production. It was 0.7 zips. I would have had it higher too. Yeah, Yeah. I would have had it higher. So, you know, let's say that's a win. Like I honestly would downgrade my expectations for the Jays by about a win, especially because, again, with war, it's about replacement level. So who is replacing Kirby Yates? I mean, right now it's looking as though who is that guy? Is that Tim Meza who's on the roster who wouldn't have been? Yeah. The guy who might maybe wasn't going to see leverage if everybody was healthy, but now will. Yeah, it might be Meza. Or wouldn't have had a roster spot. I mean, so that's maybe Meza, maybe Merriweather. Those guys otherwise could have been off the roster, either optioned or, or at the alt site or on the taxi squad. And so now they're going to be pitching in games that matter from the beginning. And so that's a difference. I think in the other cases, like particularly with Springer, you're replacing him with guys who are well above replacement level um, in the sense that, all right, Grichuk sees more playing time. Teoscar obviously is in the outfield a bit more. Rowdy Telez gets more at-bats. That's not a big problem to me, especially if Springer's absence is short-term. But, you know, I think Robbie Ray, we don't know exactly. And when you add it up, I do think none of this is the end of the world. I mean, except for Yates, in which case you're, you're getting literally zero. But, yeah. you know, I think that it's still enough to downgrade the Jays and what we should expect from them by a little bit. Not a huge amount, but 
I'd take them from, you know, maybe the 88 win range to the 86, 87. And that's what's tough for the Blue Jays. It's not like they're downgrading from a, oh, we're expecting to win 95 games and you downgrade a win or two. And it's like, okay, like, you know, whatever. We're still in a pretty good spot to make the postseason. The Blue Jays are like right on that margin, like chasing a wild card spot, you know, like hoping that like it doesn't take 95 to 97 wins to get a wild card spot this year, right? Like they're hoping that high 80s will qualify for the wild card, which we, we have seen. But we've also seen years where it's taken well into the 90s to get a, a wild card spot. So I, the Blue Jays are like, you know, they need <laughs> every win they can get right now. So every win that you shave off of an 88 win projection, I think actually significantly decreases the likelihood of reaching the postseason and makes things a lot more tough for this team rather than say if the Yankees missed Giancarlo Stanton for a stretch or if like Garrett Cole missed a month, they can better absorb that because they're projected so much higher yeah absolutely i think for a team that's in that 85 to 90 win range every win is precious no question about that and so that's where those little things can be amplified and teams like the jays that are in that range need some things to go right for them to overcome for the things that inevitably go wrong so you know if you're the jays you're really hoping that this is the year that Julian Merriweather stays healthy, or this is the year that Jonathan Davis posts a 340 OBP and 250 plate appearances. Whatever the case, you need some of those things to go right because we've already seen some things go wrong. Uh, so that's kind of the the sour news. <laughs> Let's do some good news here. Uh, it's been basically bench player a day for the Blue Jays. Charlie Montoya coming out and saying, this guy made the team. And then tomorrow, it's that guy made the team. Uh, so we, we talked about Jonathan Davis. Tim Mesa made the team as well. You alluded to it. Like, good for him. That dude beat Francisco Liriano for a spot on yep. this roster. Like, coming into spring, Francisco Liriano was, like, ahead in that race. Tim Mesa comes in on a minor league deal, coming off of Tommy John surgery, flashing this, like, new two-seamer that apparently he developed while he's rehabbing, which has been just a sick pitch for him, throwing really hard, looking composed on the mound, and just flat-out beat a veteran that like had a lot of fans in the organization, Francisco Liriano. So credit to him. It's always, you know, good to see the team going with the players who are the best ones, you know? And I think that if there's a situation where Liriano had really pitched well, and if Liriano had pushed harder and was throwing 95, then I think the decision would have been easy to go with Liriano. But the fact is that Mesa outperformed him. So you see that best player earn the job. Talk about meritocracy. Talk about best player in the job. Alejandro Kirk is going to be in the Bronx on opening day. Likely on the bench, I would assume, unless we see something interesting with, with the DH position. But Alejandro Kirk made this team, man. He was just undeniable throughout spring like he just gave the blue jays no other choice and you know it is good to see a little bit of follow-up like when you see ross atkins and mark shapiro talk about well players will tell us when they're ready and players will make these decisions for us and to me this is the follow-up of it like alejandro kirk made that decision for the blue jays and in a way like kind of the seed of the decision was planted last season when the blue jays were getting nothing offensively out of the catching position right like if if danny jansen and reese mcguire were both having really strong offensive years last year Alejandro Kirk doesn't make it to the majors I don't think no matter how well he hits at the alt site but because of that circumstance and Alejandro Kirk going to the alt site and putting up massive exit velos and demonstrating everything he needed to develop mentally that the Blue Jays wanted to see he did force the issue and he did make the decision for them so it's good to see that 
meritocracy where Kirk is so undeniable this spring that he wins the job and Reese McGuire on the other hand like while doesn't have options really didn't do anything to like make this decision hard for the Blue Jays frankly like really didn't you know do anything to make them second guess it and then you see you know what is a a just result in Kirk getting the roster spot. There are always two parts to this right and in the case of McGuire as you said if he had hit better then he probably would have entered this spring as the obvious backup to Danny Jansen being out of options. If he had posted, you know, let's say a 750 OPS last year or showing even better exit velo numbers, just something offensively. If he had done more in the spring, then that would have shifted the decision making for the Blue Jays. And one of the reasons that I've been advocating for the Jays to take Kirk is that it doesn't matter if they lose Reese McGuire. Based on what we know, it just doesn't matter. Like he's and that's not to be overly cavalier about it but like they have riley adams he looks good he's played well in spring and if you lose mcguire you still have a roster spot that you can use for somebody else so i just think that as much as you know we focus on kirk and that's the most exciting part of this the reality is too reese mcguire had chances and he didn't make the most of them and he didn't make good on the promise that he showed in 2019 when he actually hit really well so you know i think that to go back to kirk and the most exciting part of all this absolutely it's like you said i mean this is a guy who has just hit everywhere he's gone and i'm you know honestly of all the reasons that there are to watch this team and tune in in 2021 i'm pretty excited to see alejandro kirk and see what he can do in the course of let's call it 300 at bats if he gets that because it could be really memorable what he's able to accomplish with that bat It'll be nice to like test the theory of like what this guy can be, right? Like, cause we don't, we just don't have much of a sample on him, even like minor league wise. We just don't yeah. have that much of a sample on him. So like it will just be interesting to see a volume of results and just to see like how things are sustained throughout a big league season, like throughout three, four, five, six months. Like if the exit velos are still that high in, in July, right? Like if they're, you know, he, he's defensively, he's still making strides. Like the one thing I'll say about Reese McGuire, like pretty sound defensive catcher. And I know that's not like glamorous uh, and that's not sexy. And I know the fans don't show up to the ballpark to watch guys like do a great job blocking balls in the dirt or, you know, game calling or framing. But that is stuff that I always appreciated about his game. And I think that it is, you know, an important thing in today's game, even if we probably don't talk about it as much as we talk about like, oh my God, Kirk hit another ball 110 miles per hour, right? That said, I mean, it's tough to see a scenario in which McGuire isn't dfa'd i think he passes through and he stays with the jays which isn't a bad thing like that's not a bad thing to have good defensive catcher in the organization but you know it reminds me arden of remember dalton pompey this is i guess is that only two years ago feels like a long time ago but at that point we were saying someone's gonna take him someone's gonna take him and then no one like at a certain point these guys kind of play themselves out like they they show the league who they are and that's one of the reasons the jays can afford to contemplate dfaing him if that's what it comes to i'm not trying to pick on reese mcguire here but like he's had opportunities he hasn't he doesn't look like someone who belongs in a major league team getting getting at bats against garrett cole he just doesn't no you're right we should learn from mistakes of the past 
that like in this market, we do tend to like overvalue or overinflate the value of certain edge of roster guys. And every market does it, I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah, no, for sure. And it's because we've watched them so closely, right? We know their careers like so intimately, but you know, that's not to say that there aren't like similar guys like this on other clubs throughout the majors, right? Where these discussions are happening in Milwaukee or like in Cincinnati or wherever. And to us, like we would hear those names and be like, why would they, why would the Blue Jays make a waiver claim on that guy? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Milwaukee because they got Derek Fisher and Billy McKinney on the edges of that roster. I haven't seen if they made those teams. And Anthony Alford looks like he's going to be starting in center in Pittsburgh, which is awesome to see. Yeah, Anthony Alford, brother-in-law, Jonathan Davis, uh, Fisher and, and McKinney among the like cavalcade of quad A outfielders that got playing time over Jonathan Davis uh, yeah. for the last couple of years, right? Socrates Brito. Like, think about some of the guys that this club gave opportunities to. It's nice to see Davis finally getting that opportunity you know earlier than september when there's an expanded roster final thing on catchers and and final time i'll harp on this i promise for people who've heard me do it over and over again it's time to sign a veteran catcher for the taxi squad it is time tyler flowers and matt weeders are still out there Cleveland just DFA'd Bo Taylor. Caleb Joseph isn't going to make the Mets roster. Like, just go get one of these guys for that taxi squad. I think it just makes all the sense in the world. And I am somewhat puzzled as to why the Blue Jays haven't done it yet. Other than like the only sort of explanation I can see is that for players like that, there isn't that clear a path to playing time, barring an injury to a Jansen or a Kirk good idea it never hurts to have more catching and especially if they're non-roster because then they're not even taking up a 40-man spot all right let me pitch you on another idea then this is for uh how the blue jays should deploy their rotation uh on the opening week of of the season mm-hmm. look hunjin ryu is going to start opening day we know that much then there is an off day on friday then saturday and sunday there are games in the bronx I think the Ross Stripling should pitch one of those games. I don't really care which one it is, but uh, I think Ross Stripling might even have like a sneaky, impressive season this year that maybe fans aren't expecting. Mm-hmm. I think that with improved fastball efficiency, that you know he's going to put up a, a pretty surprising amount of Ks with uh, with his curveball. So uh, you know I'm not afraid of pitching him in the Bronx against the Yankees on Saturday or Sunday. So I think he should take one of those two starts, and then the other one. I think Julian Merriweather should open for Trent Thornton. That's what I think should happen. I do not think that TJ Zoic should make one of those two starts in the Yankees. I think he should fill a uh, low to medium leverage, long relief role out of the bullpen. I do not want him starting at Yankee Stadium without missing bats, without the swing and miss against that lineup. I want Julian Merriweather coming in to get the first six outs, like gassing it out against those righties and then Trent Thornton coming in after him with the the mix of four pitches with the super high spin slider kind of keeping guys off balance for like nine outs so Merriweather gets me my first six Thornton gets me my next nine and I'll figure out the final 12 from there you know what I mean like hey, look if you're getting blown out and if my plan didn't didn't work bring in Zoic man he can he can clean that thing up if you're in a tight game and things are going well, okay, great. Now we're going to like Chatwood bridging to Phelps, Delise, Romano. Or if things are going really well for Thornton, maybe he gets you more than nine outs. Uh, but that's the way that I would line it up for New York. And then when you go to Texas, uh, I've got Mats and Roark in the first two games of that series. And then Ryu in, in the third one. You get two lefties against the Rangers. The Rangers have a ton of left-handed hitters. And you keep Tanner Roark away from Yankee Stadium, which is something that I would be endeavoring to do 
What do you think about that proposal, Ben? Honestly, I like it. I think it makes sense. I think that, um, you know, the Yankees have one of the best and also one of the most right-handed lineups in baseball. So that's a team that you probably want to go right on, right on. They've been very careful, the Jays have, when it comes to making sure that the Yankees don't get too familiar with their pitchers. And you can take that to the extreme if you essentially do a bullpen game on one of those days. I mean, ultimately, there's no good way to do this, right? It's the New York Yankees. They have an incredible lineup. So you can try to shield Mats from them because he's a lefty and try to shield Roark from them because he allows a lot of home runs. But like ultimately, you still got to get 27 outs against the New York Yankees at Yankee Stadium. And there's no good way to do that. But that being said, I think that the example that you outlined makes sense. And, you know, if you hold the Yankees to, I don't know, five runs, that's probably good because this team, the Yankees, that is just an incredible, incredible lineup. And they're going to be fun to watch as well. Well, that's the thing. Like, you're going to have to play the Yankees 18 times this year. So you're not going to really be able to hide anyone necessarily. But there are so few situations or like junctures in the season where you do get to like line things up in kind of like the optimal fashion or the way that you would think is optimal. So this is one of those junctures. So that's why I would take the opportunity to do that. What do you think of not giving Zoic the start in the Bronx and going Merriweather opening for Thornton? Would you do anything differently there? No, I like it. I think that ultimately TJ Zoic had a good spring. He's throwing harder, but that doesn't mean that if you're a major league team, you should be thrilled about the prospect of having TJ Zoic face the Yankees lineup two times. Like, and maybe that'll change. If he has a great couple months, then the equation will be different and the Jays will be thrilled to send him out there against Judge and LeMahieu and Stanton and Torres. And that'll be a different story. But right now, I think keeping those hitters off balance to the extent that you can is a good thing. And I think that's easier to do if you give them different looks. Final topic of the spring mini pod. Simple question, Ben. Was this a good spring training for the Toronto Blue Jays? Simple answer, no. <laughs> I don't think so. No, I don't really? I don't think it was. Really? Why? Explain yourself. Let me put it to you this way. If you're the Blue Jays, if you're Ross Atkins, Charlie Montoya, whoever it is, and someone gives you the chance to go back in time to the beginning of spring and roll the dice again and see, oh, maybe this time Kirby Yates stays healthy, or maybe this time Nate Pearson stays healthy, or we, we operate a little more cautiously with George Springer and he's able to stay healthy. The fact is their best prospect their best reliever, and their best player are hurt to start the season. And in no way is that a good outcome. I don't care what Charlie Montoyo says about defense, about base running, about, (laughs) you know, about pitching. All these things are great. But he would have said that even if Kirby Yates was healthy, you know. So to me, this is a very good team. Take nothing away from that. It's a very good team. They had an excellent offseason. They had a tremendous offseason. But the spring wasn't good. And maybe you have an argument to the contrary, Arden. I just don't see how you can look at this result where your closer's out for the year. You have Pearson and Hatch and Ray all hurt. Springer's hurt. Like, that's not, there's no way that that's good. I just, it's not. No, you make a compelling argument. And I like the way you frame it in that if you could roll the dice again, right? Because look, if you roll the dice again, you're probably still going to come up with some injuries. On any dice roll in any spring training, it's not like there's any camp across the majors that I'm aware of where they have not had injuries. It's baseball. Dudes get hurt. That's almost why I would argue that it's actually a net positive this spring. As with anything, it's a mixture of good and bad. But I think it's a net positive. You look at the pros. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. looks absolutely locked in. He's lost weight. 
He's in better shape. Uh, he's crushing the ball. That's one of your highest upside players, and he's looking like it. Bo Bichette, too, by the way, like led this camp in average exit velocity, was like crushing the ball over the final week. Those are two really important players. Even if you don't have George Springer, you got two like foundational hitters in your lineup who look great. Alejandro Kirk, undeniable, as you mentioned. You know, your mileage certainly, Ben, will vary on this, but some of your bounce back candidates in the pitching staff look like they've taken legitimate process strides. Robbie Ray's throwing strikes, man. Steven Matz is containing damage. TJ Zoic Velo increase. The guys out of the bullpen like Barucky, Romano, Phelps, they're all aggressive and attacking hitters. You're not walking as many dudes as you were last year. Like to me, those are like the biggest pros. The cons are all injury related. When you think about it, it's Kirby Yates, huge blow. Springer starting the year with a soft tissue injury. Not great, man. Nate Pearson setbacks, you know, Ray's elbow. Patrick Murphy, by the way, who we don't talk about enough, but who I think was going to like, you know, be a factor for the Blue Jays this year. Sidelined. Those are the cons, but every team's going to have injuries. Like, I don't think there's any dice roll where you don't come out with injuries. So I think this particular dice roll, the positives that you got outweigh the negatives so i would take that i'm not sure i would re-roll these dice honestly wow i'm not charlie montoyo i don't think it's the greatest no, spring i've ever yeah, seen yeah. <laughs> what she said but like i i just think that you know the the main cons are all injuries and you're gonna have injuries regardless so i'll take this dice roll and i'll say it's a net positive interesting so yeah often we agree on these things in this case definitely i definitely think if you're the blue jays you would you would roll again Coming into camp, don't you expect some range of injuries? Like, I don't think the Blue Jays have had more injuries than they could have reasonably expected coming into a six-week training camp. No, I do think they have. Yes, they lost their closer, their best prospect, their number two starter, and their star center fielder. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, but the only, like, serious major one is the closer. That we know of. No, that's fair. Based on the information we have now. Yeah. The only serious, serious one is the closer. That we're aware of, you know, as for who knows how these things play out. Interesting. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it all works out. Uh, we're going to step away and that'll be it for the, the mini news pod. But a reminder that uh, we will have an over-unders podcast later this week. A reminder that on opening day, we'll be live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all those places at 12 p.m. Eastern, taking your questions leading into opening day. Uh, so you can check out all that good stuff. And, and we thank you for listening. Thanks to Andrew Norton for stepping in, producing this week. Thanks to Mike Tassoni for the video work as always. That's Ben Nicholson-Smith. I'm Martin Zwelling. Talk to you next time on At The Letters.